0: This week on Super Skull, issue number 13, our comic book picks for the week of November 4th, 2014. Plus plenty of theory crafting. Lots of theory crafting.
1: Alrighty. Well, here we are for another wonderful episode of The Super Skull. I am Marcus Schwimmer, joined by my friends and co-workers, Nick Weibar, Curtis Sullivan. How are we doing today, guys? Quite well. Doing very well. Quite well. Cool. So before we start this issue out, we really wanted to just take a second and kind of go over why we're doing this. Why are we
0: doing it? What is our
1: mission statement?
0: What's the point of it all?
1: Right. And I think, you know, after talking about it a little bit today, we've decided that our main goal for this is we want to provide an outlet of good, positive information on um, what is coming out every week that you should be checking out. That's our thing, right? It's right. out on Wednesday. Every Wednesday is New Comic Book Day.
0: It's not a coincidence. Right. We're doing it on purpose.
1: And if there's some industry news, some things going on in the comic book world that we think we have a unique perspective on because we re- we work in retail, then we may touch on that. And we want to answer as many fan questions as get thrown at us because what you guys are thinking about Uh, Not only gives us an outlet to go back on past experiences or other thoughts, but it also makes us think about what's fresh in the minds of, of the people. Absolutely.
0: And I think there's also something to be said for, you know, we're trying to stay positive. Yeah. It's really easy to shit on a bunch of books Mm -hmm. or any piece of entertainment at all. It's really easy to make fun of stuff and to nitpick and and find negative things to say about it. And we do that from time to time, right? Mm -hmm. But for the most part, we're trying to tell you what's cool and what you maybe should check out that otherwise you may not have checked out.
2: Sure. And for every one bad book out there, there's uh, at least one or two good ones. Absolutely. So, um, you know, our mission is definitely to talk about the good ones because there's plenty of those. So, uh, yeah, keeping it positive is a big part of it. Yeah,
0: and and we just hadn't talked about that in a while. Right. So I'm I'm glad we got it out there.
1: Yeah, and we hope that you uh, find value in what we're trying to do. Hopefully. Hopefully. Well, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, we're going to dive right into our recommendations for this week. As always, we've uh, picked books that we think you should check out for various reasons, uh, I'm going to start off this week with Nailbiter number seven. What are your various reasons? Man, um, Nailbiter we haven't talked about in a while. I think we touched on one of the first three uh, episodes. But this particular issue of Nailbiter is awesome because it is guest starring Brian Michael Bendis. Wait, you mean like he's he helped to write it? No, he is a character in this book. And uh, for those of you who haven't picked up a, a copy of Nailbiter yet, the general plot of it is that there's one town in the United States where a vast majority of all serial killers come from. And throughout this series, we're trying to find out why that is. But what I hope everyone sees in this particular issue that just totally rocked my world is that in the middle of this book, there's... Uh, so. Brian Michael Bendis is in this town because he's writing a comic book about these serial killers. There's a word for this when this happens. Yeah,
0: what is it? What's the word? It's meta. It's, it's, it's very yeah, meta. It's sure. Totally meta. Yeah.
2: And, and BMB has done this before. He was, yeah. he was doing a book called Century many years ago, and yeah. Century meets the writer.
0: Doesn't he make an appearance also in Ex Machina? Or is that Brian K. Vaughn who makes an appearance? and makes Ma kind of, I have to take a well, look. Well,
1: it's interesting to note that um, Brian Michael Bendis—he has a special thanks in this issue, but he's—you know—he's not writing it. This is all Joshua Williamson's brainchild, and they're just using uh brian michael bennis is like the outlet for it
0: it's really interesting and you can see right in the first like that that bald head like that oh, is yeah. Brian michael Bendis yeah. from a mile away so
1: yeah it, it has this great they're introducing this new character one that if you're into comic books you're familiar with but in the middle of this book also this book layout the layout of issue seven is probably the coolest most diverse layout for
0: well, now but you me. know yeah. what
2: they're doing here yeah oh yeah
0: it's just classic
1: Brian
2: Michael Bendis. Yeah. It looks like Powers. This These two pages are, are Powers' talking heads panel work. Yeah. yeah. And Tons that's not a work. diss. Love it.
1: Yeah. Um, so there is this interaction between Brian Michael Bendis and one of the serial killers that is in this town. And, uh, yeah, it's
0: laid out. Sorry, I was counting the word bubbles while Marcus was talking here. It's 22 word bubbles yeah. across this big splash A two-page page. spread. And that's Brian Michael Bennis's thing. It's just people talking over... It's very talky. It's very conversational. And Sorry, I didn't mean to... No, me. no,
1: it's totally fine. So the serial killer says, you know, you and I are very alike. And Brian Michael Bendis is just, what? No, I write comics. You kill people. And he comes back and he says, you killed Peter Parker. um, And, and he lists off all these other people. And he goes, you know...
0: All these other characters, all these other characters that
1: he's killed, right? And uh, he says um, that he the point he he, I'll just read it directly. He says the point I'm trying to make is that I'm glad it's you writing a book about serial killers, Um, but you might have ink on your hands instead of blood. And he he goes on like, you know, oh no, this is it's not the same. And he goes, no, Brian Michael Bendis says it's not the same. Yeah, he goes, it's not the same. And he goes, look, like, have you never cried at the killing of a character in a movie? Like how how different is it, man? It is a really (laughs) awesome, really meta. Yeah, it's very yeah. It's incredibly meta, but it's (laughs) also super cool. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but like, it's worth this double page. This conversation about the killing of fictional characters is one of the coolest things I've read in a really long time. Um, And the end, the last page, um, totally was not seeing it coming I love really that Nailbiter old. is a comic book reader yeah we know that right. about him now oh yeah. he brings single issues actually there's a really little quip in this book about like the digital comics and like what, what do digital comics mean versus paper comics either way he brings paper comics to uh, Bendis and says like hey can you sign this for me I'm a huge fan of your work <laughs> totally awesome that is not what I thought was going to happen in Nailbiter no, this month had Nailb- no idea and uh it's cool. You know, and the, the neat thing about this, like, as long as you know that is a serial killer, I would argue that you can pick up number seven not of reading any other Nailbiter comics. Hmm. It's a good jump in. I don't know if it's a good jump in. It, this one doesn't feel like it ties into the overall arc mm-hmm. as much as maybe the other ones have. But if you're just interested in that conversation okay. about, like, the killing of fictional characters in, in, in comic books specifically, you could totally pick this comic up, read it as a one shot, not read the rest of Nailbiter. You should because mm-hmm. it's a great series, yeah, and still take something really cool away from it. That's really really neat. And it, it so just to kind of like form and because
0: number seven is going to pick up right after a trade paperback, right? Right. So this will be your introduction
1: into a new volume of Nailbait, Nailbiter. That's really neat. I hope. Well, I won't say it because I don't want to talk about the end, yeah. but. I, I just love how meta this is. This is um, it's, it's it's meta. It's very meta. It's I not like meta. it's not breaking the fourth wall, but it's so close that it just I love it. Yeah. Um. Totally check it out. Nailbiter number number seven. Um. Awesome book on the cliff
2: of the fourth wall.
0: What would you call mm-hmm.
1: the fourth wall
0: in comic books? Would you call it the third
1: page? I don't know. If right. You got it open. No, Between
2: that's the panel. No, you what can't. is it?
1: Mm-hmm. Somebody should come up with a yeah. word. Fans, come yeah. up with a good phrase for him. The
0: other panel that sucks too. All
1: right, Nick. The first book you've picked this week is Men of Wrath, and you made the comment that this is the darkest book you've read.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's the it's very very dark, and I think is it. I don't know if it's the darkest book I've ever read. I don't even know what that means exactly. Sure. But it it bummed me out it's a intense. little bit. It's very intense. I felt pretty pretty crazy while I was reading it. And and it's because it's Jason Aaron is doing the writing, Ron Garney's doing the art, and it's because they're so good that it was so affecting. You know, yeah. There's lots of comics that do crazy things for the sake of doing crazy, gross, bummer things. Right. Yeah. Gratuity. So, a lot of gratuity. You know, murders done in a lot of different ways. There's, and but. You know, you can blow it off because it's so stupid that you don't care.
2: So this is murder done right, you're this saying. This is
0: murder. I don't even want to say right. I know. I don't yeah. know how to feel about it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because it's like, so in this issue, so we said Men of Wrath, the idea is that there's this family and their names are the, the Wraths, R-A-T-H, mm-hmm. and they're just a family of jerks. They are super violent. Everybody in town knows that, you know, stay away from the Wraths. They will kill you. There's a. It's just There's just a mean streak going through the family. And we right. open up the second issue the same way we open up the first issue, which is like a little bit of history about the Wrath family and yeah. this crazy thing that one of their relatives did. And it, it all went bad for them at some point, right? It, up, up until a point, the Wraths were not... I think there was always like, there's always something about those Wraths. But then, you know, the great-grandfather was the one that you really, you know, he did something that you could never take back, basically. Right. And now the whole town knows about it. Um but so but the book focuses on this guy who's a hitman and well you learn at the end of the first issue that he's hired to kill his son. And this is a hitman who takes any job. Right. So in that first issue, he takes a safe like a car seat with a baby in it and he throws it into a swamp. It was. Horrible. Oh yeah, uh, because yeah, he on a mission, mission and he, he was on yeah. a hit, and he had to. He took some dudes out, and there was a baby left over, and he th- I mean, it was a. Yeah, it was rough. It was really, really rough, and that yeah. kind of stuff usually it like really rubs me the wrong way. But sure, I so I'm trying to figure out what is done so well about this that I want to keep reading this book because this second issue it just keeps that going exactly. It's like that level. There's like three or four things in this book that are on that level, well, maybe not on the level of throwing a baby into a swamp. Yeah, so sure. it's, it's but some heavy-duty stuff. Some really heavy-duty stuff. But it's so well done that it's and It's just, you buy these characters, you buy their motivations. Sure. And so instead of it just being, oh, it's a comic book, you're like, no, what happened to these people? That right. like, What brings somebody to the point that they can do this kind of stuff? Yeah. Jason Aaron,
1: like, totally makes it work. So what's really interesting to me about this and like his other work that we are all in love with is Scalped.
2: Scalped, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah.
1: also writing the new Star Wars book. Yeah. From Marvel. I'm super so, psyched. I'm not, he just, he does dark and gritty so well. Mm-hmm. I just think that shows us where that Star Wars book... But he also does bright and fun really well. Yeah. Like,
0: his Thor run yeah. was just... It was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Just a really... I'm just, Wolverine and the X-Men. You know, sure, yeah. He also worked That's on That's true. It's just a lot of fun. He's, yeah. He's, he's got some range, you know? Absolutely. But this feels like he's, like, right in the right in the deep, sad, dark zone.
1: It just know? makes me so excited for that new Star Wars book. I can't Because wait. in me, he's, like, he's probably in my top three... He, yeah, top five for sure.
2: Yeah, no, we've talked about it a bunch, but Southern Bastards. I mean, the last two issues of that book are some of the best comics that I've read in forever. No, it's yeah. the second
0: week. It's another Jason yep. Aaron book. This, you know, yep. we talked about it last time, yep. and uh, but it's that good, and it's. I, I wish I could. I have a hard time pitching this book because sure. it's not for everybody. No, nope. I like, can't make that clear enough. Like it's it's a super intense ride. But, uh, man, yeah. But it's like,
2: a you know, a lot of hard things, like The Wire, you know, if you want to make a TV show comparison, or, or Breaking Bad even, no. like, I had a really hard time with a lot of that show, because it's mm-hmm. just super heavy, people are miserable to each other, they're mm-hmm. doing the worst things, but, you know, it's, it's wrapped in a compelling story that has believable human That's characters. That's exactly what it is. So it's... It- you know, you're along for the ride is is intensely horrible as it is. Yeah, you, you, know? you
0: buy the horrible stuff because you want to see what this character is up to, not mm-hmm. just yep. to see the horrible stuff. And yep. most comic book writers writing this kind of thing sure. do not get that. Nope. But but Jason Aaron gets it.
2: No, it's those, those moments of, you know, intense violence or something are the book. Yeah. Whereas a, I think with Jason Aaron, those things punch home where you are yeah, more punctuate. so than... Exactly. Absolutely. Now, yeah.
1: I, I haven't read um, the second part, but, like, in the first part, for me, the first issue is, like, what, what makes me want to keep reading it is, like, I want a sense of retribution. I want to know if these characters pay for their sins Yeah. in the end. And well,
0: that's what he does so well is, th- oh, oh my! I think I'm starting to get it. You guys. So, so, I wish
1: you could see Nick's face right now because no, there's a real
0: ha- aha moment. Because the, these these characters in Jason Aaron books, Southern Bastards and, and Men of Rat specifically, they're doing horrible things all the time and you sure. get the sense that they're always paying for it. Mm. They're just constantly oh, yeah. tortured yeah. and, and yep. you just see it's in the art and it's in the writing. But... You're, that's exactly what it is. You want to see the consequences for what right. they're doing it, but you really get the sense that they're just fucking yeah. living the consequences. All no, that's all the time. I gotta
2: go back to Southern Bastards. So you get a little backstory on the villain mm-hmm. in the last issue. And it's it's rough. Absolutely. And you learn you have this whole new understanding of this despicable character that really solidifies him as like a real character that yeah. you know the terrible stuff that he does now is rooted in well, other terrible stuff, but yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it was rough because that last issue made me kind of I don't I don't want to say have empathy for the villain, but yeah, an understanding which aggravated me. Because it's much easier to be like, man, somebody shoot this guy in the face. You know, right. he's such a prick. And then you right.
0: feel for this character, and you have empathy.
2: Like, for Like, oh, student. he's a person. You, and he, he did the
0: same thing with Red Crow in Scalped. He did yeah. the exact same thing. Yeah. He was the bad guy of the book. No, he's there. There, there. There's no such thing. We talked about it with Jason Aaron yeah. before. Yeah. That's his. That's his. The best trick that he has. And it's not a trick, but that's the, the best thing that he brings to the table is Yeah, that they're all just people.
2: You, you think you know stuff, and but this person's been alive for 50 years. Yeah. They've got a, a lot of things that happened yeah, to them in They're their not life. that
0: one panel yeah. that you see, that you get the sense that there's so much more.
2: Yeah. And he usually reveals it after, too, which I really, really like. Yeah. Like, he'll get you into a place where you think you know some characters and, and then f- peel it back. Right. You feel yeah. comfortable. As yeah. soon as
1: you feel comfortable with Jason Aaron in these kinds of books... He, he knows that moment, and then he just twists the
2: knife. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's
1: good. All right, Curtis, you have picked Over the Garden Wall. Yeah. And you love this book for a number of reasons, but one of them is this book has an incredibly uh, diverse and fun vocabulary.
2: It does. Oh, I learned two new words reading this book. Um, so let's start off with, uh, so it's Over the Garden Wall special, number one. I don't know if it's an ongoing series. Might just um, be a special? Might be a one-shot. Um, it's uh, written by a fellow whose name is Pat McHale. And uh, there's a cartoon that is coming soon, or has as just came by the same name. Um, it has this really nice hand-drawn style. So I think this might be accompanying uh, the cartoon. Um, it's illustrated by a guy named Jim Campbell. The art is really, really nice. It kind of falls in line with some recent uh, books that I'm digging, Adventure Time, where it's got this cartoonish style, but also... Um, has an old-timey yeah. sort of a vibe going on. So this story is about two brothers, Rit and Greg. Mm-hmm. and they. How do you spell Rit? W-R-I-T. Awesome. Rit. And uh, Rit is uh, a little more introspective and um, and less talky, but Greg is like this question-asking ask- maniac. He's hilarious. He has a teapot for a hat. Um, <laughs> they're going on a journey through the woods and the ideas these magic woods reveal A tail as you walk along. Hmm. So they encounter like a band of goofball pirates and like a huge hat, um, which is a bicorn is the hat ship that they're sailing in. And it's very
1: much in the style of Napoleon.
2: Napoleon, that's what a bicorn is. uh, Comes from the Latin two horns. Hmm. And uh, yes, uh, originally uh, dating back to the 1760s. Did you just and look was, this up? I totally did. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah, I got to learn what a bicorn was. It was quite exciting to learn. I also learned about um, a, uh, a ladder on a ship. is called a chapeau, a rope ladder. A chapeau. I
1: just, you, I'm sorry. You just opened up this page, and it's this bicorn hat that is also a boat. It's a boat. And it's sailing through this sea of wheat. Of wheat. And the that page... Like I would love to have that page even just without the text as just a poster or something. It's just so beautiful.
2: Yeah, the artwork is blowing my mind on this. It does that very good cartoony thing that I like where people's faces change depending on what's Going on with them emotionally. Yeah. And yeah. it's pretty radical. Like, drastically. To me, it has yeah.
1: almost a marionette style. A little bit do of you, that. Do you get that? And
0: Absolutely. Do you guys remember the show, The Marvelous Misadventures of Flapjack? Oh,
2: so much. That's that's what it's... it's so he, the, i I'd put it in that zone. This
0: dude, Pat McHale, I thought he created it. It looks so much like it. Yeah. It, but he wrote for that show. There you Adventure go. Adventure Time. And,
2: uh, anyway. So, who else is um, Flapjack, though? Isn't that our dude from Adventure Time? Isn't that... Um,
0: no, I don't know if um, he worked on it. The creator is a different dude. Thirup Van Orman is the is the creator of the Misadventures of Flapjack. That was such a cool cartoon. But the writer of this comic wrote for Adventure Time. Wrote for Flapjack.
2: Awesome. It fits right in that zone. It's goofball. It's cartoonish. It's got a super good look. Um, I love a story about two brothers. Right. Yeah. Rolling through the woods, they run into a goofy frog. It's so awesome. They're at war with cows. Um, it, it's totally great. So if you like a whimsical sort of Adventure Time type uh romp this is for you all age friendly right totally all age friendly but then it's got that adventure time thing where it's smart enough and quirky and weird enough that if you're older you're going to pick up on a lot of neat little little hooks so give it a shot i I think it's just a one shot i hope it's not because um i want more of this yeah Hmm. Um, so yeah over the garden wall special yeah give it a look
1: all right, well, my second pick for this week is Rocket Raccoon number 5. I talked about Rocket Raccoon number 1 a few podcasts back. I'm going to try my hardest to talk about this book and sell it without giving away its greatest feature. So, hopefully I can do it just. So, there's
0: something about this book that you really like, but yeah. you can't talk about right, it.
1: Right, because I feel like if I expose this element, I'm robbing the readers of something that made me laugh. Yeah. and chuckle and have to stop and put the book down and really just... I had a really beautiful moment while reading this I saw book. It happen. Yeah. Yeah. I saw it happen, too. It was it was something. It yeah. made me want to read it. So, so Rocket Raccoon... Um,
2: Talk ages. about the cover a little bit. Yeah,
1: though. so the, <laughs> this cover... Scotty Young is the main man on this one. And uh, the cover is Rocket sitting on Groot's shoulder, carrying a gun that is double his body size, and his speech bubble is just a little heart um, and it's really great. I mean, Scotty Young, everything he does is is beautiful. Groot's
2: He's, giving him a look like, Yeah, like, come oh, man. on. <laughs> really?
1: So this... Oh, because uh, he loves the gun. So right. much. Oh, that, now I see it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this particular book is, uh, Rocket and Groot are telling a camp story to a bunch of young alien children about events that had taken place in the past. And, um, it's, it's all about this big adventure that they go on, and they, in the... To this book, they tell that whole adventure in this one book, start to finish, and it has a very satisfying end to it. But there is something about the way in which that story is told throughout this book that um, I didn't think was possible to be done so well. If someone would have pitched that idea to me, I right. would have said, no way is yeah. it going to be compelling or interesting. But they do it, and it works. And uh, It made you
2: laugh your butt off.
1: I was... it, it Totally... Totally. And it was just like, a, I can't believe this is happening. This is so cool. I'm so into this book right now. It was really awesome. And we get appearances from the other Guardians of the Galaxy in this book, and they're drawn in that total Scotty Young style, which mm-hmm. is really cool. Um,. But this book just totally made me so happy. It's a ton of fun. The book
0: it is consistently really funny and right. really good. And, but it sounds like they're, they're doing something kind
2: of unique in this issue.
1: So, yeah. Um, I, I hope that I've done a good job trying to sell it. Um, Ray, you did
2: a great job. Well, don't give anything away. Um, but right. uh, yeah, uh, Scotty Young, as good as his art is, um, this is the book that uh, I, I was initially skeptical about because he's writing it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And only skeptical because I've never really seen him in that role. Um, but he kills it. He's a great writer, too. He just knows how to, to do comic books.
1: One thing he definitely knows how to do is create fun, yet understandable monsters. You know, sometimes they create <laughs> monsters in comic books, and you're like, there's no way that would ever
2: work. Structurally, that creature you, you, could not support the weight of with can, those guess, tiny yeah, wings. Maybe
1: that's, yeah, maybe that's... But, like, the monsters and, like, the the whole universe he's built around these two characters exploring is compelling and funny and awesome he's just done a really good job with the world building i thought uh, you were that, gonna say realistic wasn't no no gonna... no not realistic
2: at, at I all. i totally buy it the please. fish-based uh, bounty hunter from a couple I- episodes back was uh with all his fish-based vehicles and weaponry yeah. oh yeah fish. that's right it's real good yeah so,
1: yeah super fun book please check it out um I didn't think it was possible what they did. Oh, is that Drax the Destroyer making an appearance? Oh, 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 all the Guardians are in this one. Yes! Yeah. Um, but they did it, and they, they did it with style, so check it out. All right, Nick, your second book is a uh, new number one book on E-Press, Terrible Lizard. Terrible Lizard.
0: I really, really enjoyed it. The Terrible Lizard, of course, is the T T-Rex. Mm. We all know that, so... A yeah. Thunder Lizard. It's a Thunder
2: Lizard. Right. Is that, is I don't it, know if that's true. It's a terrible <laughs> lizard. That's it. what it is. It's a T-lizard.
0: And it's written by Colin Bunn. It's drawn by Drew Moss, who's doing a great job. It's all-age friendly, as far as I can tell. So there's nothing... Oni has an all-age friendly imprint, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Mm. But this is just Oni Press, is Got what it. I'm seeing on the cover here. At any rate, it appears to be totally all-age cool. Oh, can you go
1: back to that giant T-Rex sp-
0: Yes. No, it's, it's great. So the, the premise here is that a uh, young lady lives in this town. Her dad's a super scientist. Uh, she's maybe a little lonely. She doesn't have a lot of friends in this town. She sneaks into the lab where her dad works. And as part of this super top secret project that her dad's working on, he teleports a dinosaur, a T-Rex, from the past into this lab. A terrible lizard. A terrible lizard. Mm. And everybody's getting ready to kill it. Everybody gets... The military's there. They've got their guns out. But the first thing the T-Rex sees when he gets there is this young lady, and so they bond instantly. That makes sense. And now it's her buddy.
2: Hmm. So... Makes perfect sense. Yeah.
0: That sounds kind of cutesy, and it is. It's, you know... The, he, she gives her a big old sloppy t rex kiss. As I love it, the very,
1: the sounds you know it, you you expect t rex to be you know raw, but it's like grong yeah. just fun, fun sounds, but
2: I love a good onomatopoeia sound effect.
1: What starts us out in the beginning is that this
0: town's being attacked by giant monsters, kind of like Godzilla style mm. right so somehow this T Rex buddy is gonna play a role in what's going on. Yes. It all starts with this T Rex getting zapped in and you know, the the two of them bonding or whatever, but now something else is gonna happen and the town's under siege and, and, and yeah. that's where it leaves us. It looks like
1: we have a King Kong esque character in it as well, and I am such a sucker for King Kong like yeah. characters. It's yeah. uh so I think it's gonna be a lot of
0: monsters fighting. Cool. You know? All right. A lot of rampaging probably. I want that. And uh, yeah, it's it's working. we'll really do good. like
2: a whole lot of collateral damage to municipal buildings really and uh, infrastructure. So. Absolutely. Oh man, looks great. My, my daughter's so hilarious. So sometimes we'll watch like pac ram or some movie where there'll be like things getting destroyed all the time, and she's always like, I, "The cleanup," <laughs> <laughs> you know. That's what she's focused on. <laughs> totally all the time, you know. <laughs> Like, how are they going to put that freeway overpass back together? It's like That's like, it is. going to take nine months. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> traffic, traffic is going
0: to be so bad. <laughs> I'm not even driving anywhere. That's mm. over. Yeah.
1: All right, Curtis, your number two book is Velvet. This is a book that I think all of us are in love with. But you say in this particular issue, quote unquote, the plot thickens. It's true, and it
2: keeps thickening. So I, we might have brought Velvet up a couple times on this podcast. I feel like we have. Yeah. But. Uh, you are doing yourself a disservice if you are not reading Velvet by Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting. They are... I have read a ton of books from these two guys. What their, else do they do? Their Captain America one is my all-time favorite. Mm-hmm. Capron yeah. ever, period. Wow. It went on for like three years. It's outrageously good. It hits all the beats and notes you want. The art's incredible. That said, uh, Brubaker is responsible for like criminal, um, you know... Give me another one. I'm blanking. Um, oh, other books that he's doing. He's doing the fade out, right fade out right now yeah. from Image, which is great. Yeah. Um, he did Incognito, which was outrageous. Yeah. Um, so all that said, this book is is these two guys just firing on all all cylinders. Um, so the story is, I think we've recapped it a little bit. Is you know a money petty like character who uh, gets pulled back into the field because her uh, good friend and fellow agent is slain. And she knows it's an inside job. So she she goes uh, on the hunt.
0: Badass super agent, super spy.
2: Yeah, in this episode, it's like the cat's out of the bag. Everybody knows that Velvet is doing these things. The entire agency that she previously worked for is on her ass. The director that's had her back this whole time uh, uh, is now fully embroiled in this thing. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and it's just classic Brubaker stuff. Like, she's got this plan. She's laying out what she's going to do. They're showing the agency's kind of response as it's happening. You think that Velvet is going to, this is going to happen. Brubaker's two steps ahead of you. It just sure. keeps switching on you. It's just classic espionage stuff. Tons of butt-kicking. I mean, just read read Velvet. I, You know, take a peek at this art. I mean, Steve Epting. Yeah. F you, yeah. my man. Yeah, it's dude's really so good. You can tell what people. You can read the emotions on every character's it's the face. Expressions, I think, just he does perfectly faces
0: really, really well, and that's a thing that's really easy to look stupid. And yeah,
1: I think it's important to point out that you know, uh, in typical image fashion, if you want to get into this book, ten dollars for the first volume. Oh, first yeah, volume, yeah. Yep, nine yep. ninety nine. Yep. And man, um, I think it was Steve at the shop who was the one who told me to read this book originally. Yeah and uh spot on well worth ten dollars to get into to get into velvet
2: yeah he uh same thing I had slept on the first couple and he was like dude yeah are you reading velvet and I knew I should have been I yeah. mean it's the, the, these guys don't do bad team. comics you right. know they together they're just a knockout it's like Brew Baker and uh Sean uh, Sean Phillips Phillips yeah. you know, just just dynamite
0: wait so if Ed brew Baker has you can read something and and you know it's Ed Brubaker yeah he has these very particular styles the Mm -hmm. way that he does uh, kind of inner dialogue or monologue rather sure Um, the way that he uses text and the way that characters kind of
2: talk to each other he uses time also a lot where it's He'll show you something, and then two pages later, it'll be six hours earlier. Yeah. And then it'll be two pages leading up to the two pages you just read. So he's got a lot
0: of fingerprints. There's yeah. A, there's a lot of ways to kind of identify an Ed Brubaker book, and I keep waiting for the shtick to get old. Right. And it doesn't. No. And, and he's like, so some writers have a lot of range, and you read, so Scott Snyder, really recently. Yeah. With witches. Yeah. Yeah feels like, a, I've never read a Scott Snyder book like that. Yeah. It's just the tone of it is just so much different. Agreed. You know? And so some writers have this big range, but Ed Brubaker does Ed Brubaker, and he still, he injects so much life into all of these different types, even though they're you know, pretty different. Yeah.
2: Well, I think, uh, you know, what's the, the tagline? I can't remember the book, but the secret ingredient is crime. Yeah. It was like a tagline for a letters mm. column or in the back of criminal or something like this. And um, that's, you could say that. Like, you could almost say that about even his Captain America run. Mm-hmm. It's like noir. It's like whatever he's doing, if he's doing a superhero book, if he's doing an espionage book, if he's doing this, he takes this kind of old-school noir flavor and injects that into totally. whatever and, and it and is. And that informs his dialogue and yep. informs his pacing. And yeah, because yeah, Fade Out, right? I mean, this is a murder mystery set on a Hollywood, you know, in a Hollywood movie studio setting, um, you know, but but it's a noir and he just he just does that thing, um, yeah. Yeah, where he injects that every time, and it works. I don't mean the dude's just uh, yeah, like you say. I'm waiting for him to shit the bed, but yeah. it hasn't happened. And you see that with
0: a lot of writers, especially for as long as that dude's been writing comics. Yeah. You just think yeah. you're going to
2: read the book like oh wait, I just
0: read this book.
2: Yeah, and like it was by this dude, and it was a month ago. Brian Michael Bendis, you know. Oh, you think B&B. You know, yeah. Really? He writes so many books yeah. that I feel like some sometimes. And that's another fingerprinty dude. Like yeah. we were just looking at it. Yeah. yeah,
0: they were doing like kind of a, you know, it was like mm-hmm. it was an exaggerated version of it, but
2: yep. yeah, b and a little bit. A little bit cuz you know, the dude does a lot. Absolutely. I mean, so now I'm not really, you know, crapping on that guy, but uh yeah. my dude writes and has written 1 billion comic books. So <laughs> Totally. Yeah. Um, Steve Niles gets me a little bit in that
0: way too sometimes. Yeah.
2: Totally. You can just kind of feel it. it's like oh here we go another Steve Niles book. Right. <laughs> sometimes it's awesome. Sometimes sure. it turns out to be awesome. Absolutely. And sometimes it's like eh, well. And sometimes with Steve it seems like who's his collaborator also. Sure. You know brings what do they bring into the table? So absolutely. yeah, cool. Um, yeah, we digressed a little bit there, but yeah, Velvet. Uh, this is Secret Lives of Dead Men. Uh, this is the new story arc. This is issue two of that story arc. Just uh, a great comic. One of my absolute favorite books coming out every single month. So I know. yeah.
1: Yeah. Totally awesome. All right. Well, my third book, and probably the book I'm most excited about this week, is Amazing Spider-Man number nine, Spider-Verse Part One. So we've done Edge of Spider-Verse. We're not. We're off the edge. We're off the edge. We're full on into Spider-Verse, and this book is kind of the book where all these, all the momentum of Edge of Spider-Verse, collecting all these Spider-Men, introducing us to them, giving us their backstory, the teams together. Yeah. And. In this book, they go get Peter Parker from Earth six sixteen, which is the Peter Parker that proper proper proper, Marvel, yeah, Yeah. proper Marvel universe. Um, And so, what's happening is there's this group of people, and they're jumping to all these universes, and they're feeding on spider people things. The spider. This nefarious
0: force is trying to. They're feeding on spider beings. Literally, yeah, they're eating them, like much like a spider would eat. Yes. That was a stretch.
1: That's okay. But, um, so yeah. Like, they're the flies. Sorry. I'm going to stop trying to make this analogy work. Keep going. So, um, so now our our homeboy, the Peter Parker that most of us have grown up with and are very familiar with, he's in the story now. And, um, he's interacting with all these spider people, spider pigs that we've been introduced to. Um, Curtis and I were totally nerding out earlier about Spider-Ham. I love Spider-Ham. Who is a character, uh, from an all-ages Spider-Man series. That has been in Edge of Spider-Verse and is now in Spider-Verse. And the coolest thing about him is, like, yeah, he's totally an all-ages character. Yeah, he cracks jokes, but he's a serious character in this book.
2: No, he's standing right next to all the Spider-People. Oh, yeah. Like, and he's like, right there. He's and holding, his holding his own, right? Yeah. He's Yeah.
1: And, yeah, he makes little jokes about, like, oh, you can't eat Spider-Ham. It's not kosher. Which makes me laugh, but, like, he kicks a ton of butt. And he, like, plans moves and he's part of the team. Yeah. Really awesome stuff. So, yeah, the teams together in this one, we finally get to see all these spider folk come together and, and kind of say, no, we're not going to stand for this. We cannot allow ourselves, almost as a species, to be hunted. Now it's our turn to to kind of go out. And uh, I've been loving Edge of Spider-Verse in so Agreed. many ways. It's a ton of fun, um, man. But now it's just like I've, I've I've been waiting for the moment where I'm going to say, like, Oh, here we go, Marvel! Here's our crossover, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm not ready, I'm not digging it, but it's, it's just, I don't want to use the phrase flawless because there's always errors in, in everything. That's a big statement. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, there's little things like so, um, our Peter Parker has this relationship with a uh, Silk, who's getting her own spinoff series, right. And, uh, Silk
2: was revealed to be another character, also bitten by the same spider the that bit Peter Parker. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And they have this whole thing where, like, the two of them can't really be around each other because their spider pheromones like give them these sexual urges, and they just like have to mate. Yeah, um, which is you know, she lays the eggs. She <laughs> leaves. But yeah, he just it, it seems it, it, it seems.
2: Saying it out loud, uh, you know, it sounds way worse than it's been reading about it. I mean, it's right. been, it I'm not current, yeah. and it
0: sounds ridiculous.
1: Yeah, it, it does. But, you know, like, when we first get introduced to Peter Parker in this book, it's, you know, Peter Parker, Earth 66, and there's this little box. Yes, this is the Peter Parker. Stop looking at his butt. Because he's in bed. I was looking at his butt. It's just, you know, so there are things that are wrong with this book. But, um, man, there's so much that. good Come stuff on. going on. And yeah. seeing all these different versions of... Of the Spider-Man, and we get to see even more in this ones that we just get introduced to just a little bit because they're the ones that have already been killed. They give us these little flashes of all these spider folk that have already been killed and eaten.
2: I think spider folk is good. I like that. Spider but, folk. Yeah. You know.
1: But the end of this book takes place in Earth 610, Ultimate Universe. Yeah. And Miles Morales hasn't really been playing a huge part in this in this Edge of Spider-Verse, Spider-Verse stuff. But at the end of this book, we get some Miles Morales, finally. Which is uh, awesome. It's so, so cool.
2: So Edge of Spider-Verse, right? We spend a lot of time in the store kind of dissuading people from going full ham, full spider ham, if you will, on giant crossovers. I have been recommending that people go... All in on Edge of Spider-Verse the whole time. It doesn't seem like it
0: should work, and it totally works. It's no, a it's ridiculous a lot of
2: fun. amount of fun. It's exactly what you want from comic books. Who's the spider person who is
0: like the, I'll do anything to solve the crime? Like the spider, who has a gun? Which guy? Was Spider-Man that? Noir. Spider-Man yeah. Noir. Yeah. That is so awesome. Yeah. We
1: also have uh, this double-breasted where the Rocketeer Spider Man is what I've been calling him. Right. Yeah. But like we learn a lot more about him in this book, and like we don't know his identity yet. He hasn't revealed which character he is. But mm. he is just like I will do whatever. That's that dude. Yeah. yeah, that dude. Yeah. To end this, in you know, it's just yeah. He doesn't care. No. He, he will. He will take dudes out. He yeah. Ta- he'd, he'd take Uncle Ben out. Right he now, he's do. he's called Old Man Spider of Earth Four. His identity hidden for now writing (laughs) yeah but and we're starting to see in this book that these spider folk that we've collected um, there's going to be some collateral damage some happens in this book and it's just like it hurts because you're introduced to these new spider people and you want to know so much more about them yeah boom dead boom dead and you're like well that's it (laughs) I only get that (laughs) yeah come on but uh, yeah you know our spider Gwen's in this she has a huge following right now rightfully so She's just kicking a ton of butt um she has a little interaction with our Peter Parker from six sixteen mm. um, which is what I've been wanting so very I mean, badly it's,
0: it's so cool this. you've been talking about this
1: I have so many I've been theory crafting so many you've different been ways theory crafting so hard again oh man like do oh there's so much that could happen with i I walked what, in on you theory crafting the other day because what I want is Peter Parker Earth six sixteen and this new Gwen Stacy to end up in the same universe and like there's so much teen love drama that could take place I just wouldn't know what I to do with the myself I the listener
0: could see the twinkle in Marcus's eye I just, as he talks about do they this. get
1: back together can they never do that because the terrible things that have happened what is she the same Gwen Stacy no she's not she has totally different life experiences oh, it's okay it's okay I know
2: whenever you say theory crafting I just want to talk about how I'm a process freak so there's that. It's another Man. buzzword that I've enjoyed recently. Oh, that's just a buzzword. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Like theory crafting. So if process you, freak, if you've <laughs> been reading
1: uh, Edge of Spider Verse, you can. You know, this is the next part. Um, if you haven't been reading Edge of Spider Verse, you should. But you can read this amazing Spider Man number uh, nine and get a ton of fun stuff out of
2: it. So it's Amazing Spider number nine, but it's Spider Verse proper, proper number one.
1: Right. And the reason you can jump into this one is every time they introduce a spider folk. Um, they give just a little blurp about who they are. So if you've been reading Edge of Spider-Verse, you know a lot more about them, but they give you kind of the dirty on a, uh, Spider-Ham. He's a pig. Oh, man. Spider-Ham's so good.
2: He's an amazing pig. He's a Some pig.
1: <laughs> he just, like, knows where he's from and is totally cool with it. It's really awesome. They they do him really well. Do you think there's a Charlotte's Web thing going on there?
0: Hmm. Spiders? Pigs? Oh, no? I
1: don't know.
0: I'm theory crafting right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> Excuse me. All
1: right, Nick, your third book is Tooth and Claw, number one by Image Comics. This book is highly anticipated. It, it's really all of our pick, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Going can it be all of our pick? Yeah, yeah for
2: sure. Uh, so, yeah, if you could only get one book this week, right, it might be Tooth and Claw.
1: I,
0: yeah, yeah, I agree.
2: Don't do that to yourself. You need about 10 or 15 comics this week, but...
0: Absolutely. But if if it's got to be one, yeah, Tooth and Claw.
2: The cover's outrageous. We'll just say that right out of the gate. Holy crap.
0: It's, yeah, what's going on? This is like a wizard warthog who's like crafting runes out of magic while yeah. floating in midair. Um, Surrounded by destruction. So what's going on with this book? It's Kurt Busick, who's outstanding.
2: Who we might know from. That's a really good question. Who's Kurt Busick Astro City? Astro City. Right off the bat. So many other but things. so many more things. Yeah, Marvel's way back That's in the it, day. Marvel. That's yeah. the one I was thinking yeah. of. Yeah. Very good writer who's written tons of comics for many, many, many years. He's around for a minute.
0: And it, it really feels like, sometimes you read a comic book and it feels like a writer just totally found, hit their groove. Like, this is a the comic they've been trying to write yeah. for a really long time. Or been time. waiting to write. Or been waiting it. to write. Yeah. It, feel, it And this is another example. It doesn't feel like a Kurt Busiek book in nope. a lot of ways. Nope. You know, I didn't. I had to go back and check. It was still written there, Kurt Busiek. This is a tough book to pitch. Do you think? I so, think I go, go ahead. I'm gonna try. Okay, tell me how I did. Sure. A little mini hot, hot and hot nasty. nasty right now. So a warm and nasty. So, in a world where just, animals are wizards. Okay, so magic is kind of the currency of this crazy world in the Seventeenth City, uh, and this is uh, the westernmost of the Seventeenth City above the Plains. This all takes place in this one city, right? A floating city. It's a yeah. floating city. We're seemingly like magic is just everywhere, yeah, it's just flying around, hitting people in the face it's it's huge, wizard's up the wazoo <laughs> exactly, if you will, but the problem is. And it like forms parts of their economy, and it forms like the yep. bureaucracy. It's everywhere. But the problem is that we're running out of magic. Right. So it's gonna be magic's gonna be all gone soon. Everybody knows it.
2: So it's almost like a commodity. It's almost like a, exactly. a an exhaustible resource. Absolutely.
0: It's almost and, and it, so this big council of wizards gets together, and they're like, dudes, what are we gonna do? We gonna we're gonna run out of magic soon. Yeah. We're all gonna be we're all wizards. Yeah. We are. Fucked if we run out of magic. And they're
2: kind of like the ruling class. And so, like you say, the magic in their currency is going to affect their standing in in the world with these other races. So they're nervous. Yeah.
0: And this one warthog wizard, the aforementioned floating warthog cross-legged wizard on the cover, says, Okay, I have this idea. We can bring this being back that is going to bring all magic back to the world, but it's this super crazy spell and it's gonna be nuts, guys. I'm gonna need a whole bunch of wizards. Yeah. We're gonna need to do a whole bunch of stuff. This is a really long pitch. Yeah. But you know what? This book deserves every second of but, it. But so this is a, like a 50-page book. So what I just described is just like the, the get-go. Yep. And then it just goes on and on
1: and on. Um, the art is outstanding. I was gonna say we gotta we gotta spend some time on the art because this book I'm a sucker for animal. Animal-human Anthro- mixes. Anthropomorphic. Anthropomorphic. Yeah. Thank you. I'm a sucker for it. But there is a eagle wizard in this oh, book. this eagle wizard is so dope. That I saw and instantly was just like, sold. Yeah. Because the way they draw, not only is it that they draw animals really well. Yeah. It's it's without question that this book does that. It's that the diversity of species that they draw upon to create these characters yeah. is Immense, and it's just so much fun because, like, you know, in uh, Wild's End, we're seeing foxes and dogs, yeah. very traditional English. Mouse card, all mice, you yeah. know, but this book, it's like lizards and goats and dogs and eagles and lions and bears, and it's like yeah. and just everything. And they're all wearing like wizard robes yeah. and like different wizard robes to like denote what department they're from, right? It's just it, I just want i wanted this I want this book to come out with a guide to this universe, oh. and I just want to get lost in it for weeks, yeah, like a little historia <sighs> or a yeah
2: damn. I like the way the uh the animal uh creatures are more humanoid you know they're they're fully animal, yeah, yeah. so it's not like a you know take a you know a, a human body and put a frog's head on it right yeah like their their stature, their hands, their feet, their right. posture. Uh, lends itself to whatever creature they are so they're very animalistic even though they they l- walk upright and, and lean totally. more towards humanoid yeah so it's it's not your you know it's not like a wild zen where right you know it's like a, a dude but with a dog's head right and you know right
1: well and like you said this book is huge it's two ninety nine.
2: Two ninety nine. 99
1: there are no advertisements in it
2: yeah it is just it com it's 48 pages. It's uh, literally cover-to-cover comic book. Mm-hmm. It's got a wraparound cover. It's just like, Nick,
1: you always say that we're like in the golden age of comics. I do. I do and always say that. There are people out there that kind of pick at that and think that there's other times. This book, to me, shows how good we have it. Right? Like, a book has just come out for $3. Mm-hmm. That is almost fifty pages long, has no advertisements, and it's so good, we're having a hard time describing how good it is. You're absolutely right. And yeah. there's no spandex
0: in it at yeah. all. And it's super dense and like hard to understand. You know, they they're treating you like a grown up. Right. It's just it this there, what other time could this comic have come out in? Right. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like it's it just it's really, really good. Two yeah. to flaw number one.
1: I will say, you know, we, we have these books, um, Birthright was one of them where we get really passionate about them. Listeners, if you want this book, it's going to go quick.
0: If you want it at to Vault to Midnight, get up in there. So I,
2: I did, on this book, I ordered a, a lot. But I say that these days, like, I order a lot. And then it, you know, yeah. we had Birthright for half of Wednesday. Right. You know? Um, so, yeah, you know, I ordered a, a ton of these books, though. Right. So... Yeah. Um, Which is why both, you really need to come in and buy one because we are so screwed. We, we are so screwed. Plus, Please oh buy it. Oh my god!
1: I'm giving it. I'm giving it 48 hours <laughs> until it's gone. Yep, that's my guess. Yeah.
2: Well, every Same. every single person in the store will be selling it. These are the books that we love. Yeah. Um. Right. I mean, this is. Thank you, everybody involved in creating this book. This right. makes our lives absolutely so easy. You know and image comics again another image number yeah. one it's sort of ridiculous it's borderline ridiculous it's
0: such a good bookend to what we've been talking about because it's Kurt Busick again but it doesn't read like him at all I know I, we said this at the top of it but yeah. it's it doesn't have the fingerprints of that writer so it's Gosh. it's for a dude that's been writing comics this long mm-hmm. to write something so different it's astounding and there's just so much detail in it And uh... who's the artist on this bad boy? oh uh, it's
2: Benjamin Dewey well that dude's Real good.
0: Yeah, he's killing it. And his name does not
1: strike out at me, but I will be looking it up for sure. Yep. God, awesome. All right. So, Curtis, your number three is Gotham Academy. It's one of the largest selling books we've had in a bit. We've been selling a ton of it. Yeah. All ages. I love it. What's going on in issue number two? Is Does it keep the momentum
2: from issue number one? Absolutely. So I loved issue number one. This is uh, written by Becky Clunan. It's art by Brendan Fletcher um, with a bunch of other folks helping out along the way. This is a gorgeous book. It's got a great cover. So the lead character is um, Olive Silverlock and uh, kind of follows her uh, adventures at the Gotham Academy. So she's just coming off a lost summer. Something strange happened with her and her mother. You don't know what that is. They haven't revealed that yet. But... uh, She's the subject of much rumors and uh, gossip, you know, gossip around her uh, at the school, so she's uh, having trouble finding her way. Um, so this academy that she's at is set in Gotham, but it's on the outskirts of Gotham in this really old, you know, 150-year-old, awesome Gotham mansion. Um, we've talked about it a little bit, you know, like maybe there's a little bit of Hogwarts in there.
1: Yeah, I, um, that's how I... S- Try to sell this book. Is I say like if you like Batman and you like Harry Potter, yeah, this book has a huge Harry Potter vibe for me. It does,
2: but at the same time, without being like really Harry Potterish, you know, it's it's Harry Potter in the sense that there's a giant academy that has rich history and maybe some supernatural stuff, some secret and some, rooms, exactly, secret and right. there's rumors about this and there's rumors about that, and right. um, so this uh, issue they get assigned uh, a school project, uh, which is um, write a book report on the history of Gotham. And they bring up all these cool little bits about Gotham City that you may have heard in Batman books. Or, you know, they talk about the plates, uh, the gates of Gotham, excuse me, which was a cool uh, Batman book from a year or two ago, which was really excellent. That gets into the history, the building of Gotham City and what, what families were involved in founding the city and building the city. Yeah. Um, so this, she's doing a book report and it involves um, the diary of Millie Jane Cobblepot. You might recognize the name Cobblepot. Sure. Uh, That name has been featured in the Batman mythos for many moons. The Penguin. The Penguin. The Penguin. penguin. I got it. I said it first. You did. Thank you. Uh, So this this is just totally kick-ass. She finds a map in this thing that leads around. Well, I don't want to give it all away, but you should absolutely be reading Gotham Academy right now. DC is trying to turn a corner a little bit, I think, and get some books more in that Miss Marvel zone or that She-Hulk zone. And by that, I mean really good smart accessible books for everybody um you know they're not up their own uh continuity with this one you don't need to know a thing about batman you yeah. don't need to read any batman books to get into this book becky clunan is a killer writer i've always loved her as an artist she's got great writing chops also so um. yeah
0: write up their own continuity
2: yeah shove it up your continuity (laughs) yeah well you know it's hard it's hard not to right you're setting something in Gotham I mean it's just totally but that's what makes the book so
1: cool as far as like this story could take place anywhere yeah right like Bruce Wayne at least in the first issue he's in it a little bit but like Batman's not trolling around this book all the time but because This story takes place in Gotham. It takes an already great little plot and makes it that much richer and that much much more enjoyable for us.
2: Awesome. Well, Gotham Academy number two. Give it a look. All
1: right. Now it is time for my favorite section, the hot and nasty. This week, Curtis Sullivan's doing the hot and nasty. Nick, why don't you break down the rules for us while I give these books a shuffle? Curtis, are you prepared for the rules?
0: I certainly hope
2: so. I
1: think you know how it works.
2: I probably do. You've done
0: this before. The idea is that you have 30 seconds exactly to pitch mm. as many comics as you can.
2: So not 30. One second, I have 30. No, you have 30 seconds. Okay.
0: And if I'm not personally sold on every book that you pitch, I'm not going to count it. You're such first a hard-ass, though. I am a hard-ass. And last time, for the first time ever, I disqualified a book. Ooh. I, I'm still feeling really weird about it. I heard about that. But I'm glad. I did it. Because you got to stand firm on the rules.
2: That's true. You and, do.
0: And there's a new champion. And we have a new champion right now. Ian Rolette is is holding the uh, the belt at 8
1: Comics. At 8 Comics. 8? Yeah. Yeah. I'm coming for you, Ian. I'm
2: coming for How you. could he possibly do 8? That's Well, we have human. We have it recorded. I don't buy it. Curtis, are you ready? I think so. Let me <coughs> Okay, I'm ready. And you may begin. Axis Number Four by Rick Remender and Lennel Yu. It's Marvel's big summer crossover that is in the fall. Check it out. The Flash Season Zero Number Two. I love this TV show. It's my favorite superhero TV show. Earth's Two Worlds End Number Five. It's another big weekly crossover from DC. I'm digging it. Detective Comics Number Thirty Six. It's got Batman on the cover. It's a great cover. Uh, another weekly comment from DC Comics, The New 52, Futures End number 27, check it out. Legendary Star Lord number 5, Sam Humphreys kicking ass, Paco Medina on the art, Grayson number 4, you Stop. know you want it. Stop.
1: Stop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that was our hot and nasty. How many books you get? I don't know.
1: Let's take a look.
0: That's a really good question. So I'm not going to count one of them. So all we got for Detective Comics was, what a great cover. <laughs> you know you want it. So I'm going to go ahead and give that one a DQ. A nice guy. Right? You know what? <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. How many do we get? Uh, Detective Comics aside. I'll just hold on to that one for you. Six. Six. Okay. Here's the thing is, though, you're so much better at pitching them than anybody else is. Wow. He is. No, he's great. He's really good at it. Oh. He gets a
1: little bit no. more into the actual pitch, <laughs> yeah. and he's
0: not so focused on the, the, the move-it-along.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I want my belt back, so yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, but yeah. we got it's got
0: to be as good as I Curtis normally does. It's just not as, you know, better than how he did for Detective Comics number 36. It is a great cover, though. It's a beautiful cover. It is a really good cover. Take a look. It's particularly great. Yeah. Anyway, that's the hot and nasty
1: yeah great all right well we're going to take a little break and then we're going to come back to our fan questions industry news and we uh hope you hold on for just a moment We're going to dive into our fan question. Nick, why don't you give us the fan question for this week? I will. Our fan question this week
0: comes from Sharona. And Sharona writes... Sharona, excuse me, not Sharona. Sharona writes, Hello, Super Skull. This week, and uh, by that she meant our last episode, uh, you talked a bunch about why costumes are so important in superhero comics and why people pay so much attention to them. The reasons you gave were good ones, but you completely left out a really important reason. When it comes to female superheroes... Costumes are extremely important because they can either show respect or disrespect to a female character. Comics, unfortunately, have a long history of treating women poorly, and us lady fans, therefore, get pretty excited when a female character gets a new costume that looks cool and doesn't focus on making her sexy or an object for dudes to look at. Uh, And she goes on to say that we really want to see women in practical, awesome-looking costumes instead of weird leotards and shirts with boob windows. So costumes can make a huge difference in this way. I think this is a really great point. She goes on to say that you guys are great, but I would love for there to be some consistent female perspective on the podcast. Uh, recommending a comic with a bunch of gratuitous naked ladies? Come on, you guys are better than that. And she has a question that we'll get to afterwards, but I think that we should address this.
1: And the mm-hmm. comic that she's referring to uh, with uh, gratuitous nudity... That was Dark Gods that we... That we that I recommended on. last yeah. podcast. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so we should say that... So
0: I thought... I, I had my own problems with that, sure. that comic. But I don't think that gratuitous nudity was the the problem with that comic. But we did just kind of throw it out there as yeah. something like it was not that big a deal. Because there was nudity right. in right. the comic.
1: And I, I will say that like I agree that there is a lot of nudity in that book that um, doesn't add a lot to yeah. the story. Or isn't necessary at all. Right. Um But, you know... There and, and I should have mentioned that that was that was my bad, but there are going to be flaws with books, and I think that we can still talk about those flaws, um, but mention the good qualities of a book as well. Absolutely, and yeah. we don't have to yeah throw the baby out with the
0: bathwater, but exactly. we should acknowledge that there is you know if there's a problem with the book, right. and sure. that speaks to a larger thing that we are trying all the time to be better about. We're trying, we are totally aware that we are three dudes. Sitting around a table talking about comics. Yep, and it, it behooves us to to keep the perspectives in mind for the people that are not sitting at this table.
2: Right. Yeah, and yeah, that's maybe our challenge. Our dudes.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and that's our job, and that's when uh, we gotta. We'll, we'll we're gonna be better about that in the future. No, yeah. we're also gonna uh, have some lady voices on the podcast very very soon. Yep, and we're really excited about it.
1: That's yeah, gonna be awesome.
0: Uh, so she has actually a, a really great, great question in addition to this. Um, So, it's pretty hard to find comics written by women, Sharona writes. The only female writers I really know of are Kelly Sue DeConnick, who is awesome. She's great. Gail Simone, and G. Willow Wilson. Who's my fave? Can you recommend some other awesome female comic book writers? And the list is long.
2: Yeah, there's quite a few.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So, um, just going down the list, um, Catherine Eminen. Yeah, Uh, has worked on Runaways and Journey into Mystery, and so many books and so many others. Yep, which is a ton of fun. Um, Some of my favorite kind of you know you might call them graphic novelists. Yeah, Uh, Alison Bechdel is a wizard, and we've talked about her before on the podcast. Yep, Liz Prince is one of the funniest comic book writers that I've ever read,
2: and she's the the full package. Liz Prince, Uh, she's the writer, the artist, the everything. So uh, yeah, the full blown. Enchilada, yeah. if you will.
0: Absolutely. Uh Jane Irwin wrote this book um recently, uh called uh, a clockwork um oh the name is escaping me. Clockwork game. Clockwork game, yeah. Right. Which is about an automaton chess machine, which in Jane Irwin is semi local and kicks tons of ass. She's an amazing comic book writer. Yeah, and, and she's artist.
2: again a writer, artist, yep, does it all.
0: Yep, absolutely. Uh Julia Wirtz does a bunch of great kind of old comics stuff. Um, Allison Bauch does Hyperbole and a Half,
2: which is outrageously funny and sad on the webcomic
0: side of things. So, yep. and that's just to name a few. Phoebe Gleckner,
2: yep, is uh, now residing in Ann Arbor, so local now. Absolutely, is a powerhouse. Yep, yeah,
0: and we can go on and on. Um, and but it's still not enough. We need we need more, sure. right. Especially you know writing current mainstream comic books. Yeah, um, but and we you know we have our eye out all the time. But, uh,
2: yeah. There's a lot of powerhouse uh, lady artists For right sure. now as Absolutely. well. And we talked about Jordi Valera a couple podcasts ago that's mm-hmm. coloring every single book that Is you awesome. want to read. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's getting better. But, uh, you know, uh, from a readership perspective, we all know that uh, men have kind of dominated the reader side. Mm-hmm. But also creatively, it's, it's like a lot of industries, you know, where, where uh, women have a tough time kind of breaking in getting their foot in the door. But that's rapidly I, I feel like it's rapidly changing. Just this year alone, I feel yep. like it's it's changing so much. So
0: And we got a long way to go, but it's uh it's pretty cool. It's yep. pretty cool the time we're in that uh, yeah. The that,
2: clubhouse uh, is opening up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Sure. <laughs> Um, oh, and I just want to say really quickly, that point about the costumes is a great one. Sure. And I totally didn't think about that at all, and it was totally outside of my, my you know, kind of my wheelhouse. So well, thank you so much for bringing it yeah, up. Yeah, and
2: we we didn't mention it, but I think a lot of the reasons we all kind of liked a lot of these newer costumes, Spider-Gwen, for example, is they're great costumes without being sexified. Yeah. And that, that, that is a good point. I mean, it's, um, you know, Spider-Gwen looks like she could swing around the city and actually fight crime in that outfit, right? as totally. opposed to you know tripping over her own six inch heels or whatever
0: absolutely and i think so we talk about these things but we're going to try to do better about kind of you know expressing that and and and, and getting into it but and that's not enough either we got to get those other perspectives in here as well
2: for sure
1: yeah cool well thank you for your questions so much as always we want to hear what you the listeners uh are interested in and thinking about so uh, make sure to send us those questions we just love talking about uh your guys thoughts and so on All right, we're going to move into our industry news a little bit. Guys, I am so excited for something that we found out. Um, I'm not a big manga reader, but man, oh, man, do I love Attack on Titan. Attack on Titan rules. Some of the best, not just manga, some of the best illustrated storytelling Mm -hmm. that I have ever come across. And sadly, in Japan only, there's going to be a Marvel... Attack on Titan crossover series. It's intensely it's awesome. It's
2: super nuts.
1: Yeah. Something, I mean, I really want to see Hulk fight an army of oh, Colossus yeah. Titans.
2: I could see it. I'd be okay with that. Yeah.
1: I hope that we get to see these in the United States. It seems to me, though, like a weird matchup. And maybe that's what makes it so great. Yeah. does You guys are... It's
2: improbable. When they announced it, I... What? Yeah, it's super weird. Can
1: you think of another manga
0: superhero, like DC, like continuity crossover? You know, one of the big two crossovers of manga? I've never heard of such a thing.
2: And Titan is such a distinct universe. It's like a... a, It's what... How do you mix it with anything, any other manga, let alone Spider-Man? But they
0: are doing... Like, Attack on Titan is so huge. Yeah. It's so popular that they're kind of throwing a lot of... Attack on Titan stuff at the Attack on Titan wall. Yeah, you know you got high school Attack on Titan. Oh no, junior high. Junior, junior high. Is is. Um, so there's a few spin-offs already for Attack yeah. on Titan. So yeah, you know are they cashing in a little bit? They're trying to, you know. But I, yeah, why not? I'm cool with it. Yeah, I'm cool with it. Yeah, I think it's gonna be totally awesome.
1: Also, we have some really interesting news from DC Comics this week. Nick, can you kind of break it down for us? Yeah. So
0: DC Comics just announced its big 2015 event, which is called Convergence which is a name that defies you to remember it. Even as soon as it's spoken, it leaves your mind. Can can, 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 can it, become what? Uh, oh. Exactly. So uh, the, the idea here is it's a nine-part series that uh, is going to be the culmination of uh, Future's End and Earth 2 World's End. Okay. So all of this stuff, I am not current on Future's End.
2: I'm reading both. And you're you digging it? It's just so much, man. I, yeah. I am digging it, but it's, it's a lot. And issues kind of go back and forth. Like one week I'll be in love, and the next week I'm like, what am I doing here? Yeah. Because um, it's a lot of talent. There's a ton of artists. There's a ton of hands in the pot. Right. Which, That's a lot. Yeah. It's a
0: big commitment. Yep. Every single week. Yep. So Comics Alliance, uh, is there's a great article on Comics Alliance about like kind of what's been going on. Um, and it's so. There's all this multiversity stuff. This is also going to tie into Grant Morrison's multiversity stuff. Yep. So it's it takes place. This is the quote that DC left for us, you guys. It's taking place outside of time and space, on the question mark. I'm not kidding. Just below Earth 29 and above chaos on the map of the multiverse, and introducing a new villain. This massive event will be published throughout April and May. <laughs> Yeah. So This yeah. is their press release.
2: Well, so that means a whole lot of, I don't know. So the speculation
0: is that this could be the end of the new 52. This could be another big reset button. Oh, God, I hope not.
2: I, I also have heard speculation that it's merging all previous continuities with the new 52. Yeah. Um, it
1: seems It seems is, like a
2: mess. This is obnoxious to me. But, yeah. you know,
1: like, DC's moving their headquarters. You think it's related to them moving their oh, headquarters? Oh, yeah, I've, I've heard people say that, like they know they're moving headquarters are um, they moving it to just above the question mark <laughs> let's hope um, but, and so they know that with this giant move they're not going to be able to put out all the books that they normally do every month so what they're doing is like they're ceasing the release of all of their books for these two months that they're going to be making this big move and they're just going to be coming out with like this limited series yeah. for the two months to me it seems like a really bad idea I talked to a really frequent customer of ours yesterday who's really into the DC Universe, and he couldn't be more excited. Yeah. He's like, I don't have to worry about any of the other crap. Yeah. I can just really hone in, and all my characters are going to be there. Yeah. It's going to be this giant thing with characters that I miss from previous New 52, and it's just going to be so cool. And my initial thought was, like, this is financial suicide. Well, right? you know?
2: So my first thought was, uh, all these books are going to be on hiatus. That's a bummer. Right. But if DC if they're legitimately going to put the time and effort into crafting something awesome, right? It doesn't ask readers to to buy this massive beast and all their normal stuff. Yeah. So their intent is their hope is right that everybody fully dives into this big old maybe history-changing thing in the in in the DC universe continuity. So in a way I I think that it's bold, it's strange I've never heard of anything like it, yeah. you know, because we got this nine-part series, right? But then what's the the one-shot thing they're doing? Is it 50, it's 52 one-shots also, or 52 two-shots? Uh, I did see something about you that. Know, so it. You know, so it's pretty massive. There's a lot of books involved. From a retailer standpoint, though, yeah. it's going
1: to be a logistical nightmare. I mean, we saw
0: something similar when the new 52 happened. Yeah, that's right. true. You know, right. Uh, which was kind of a clusterfuck, and... Had some good and had some bad
2: but yeah. that
1: came along with it. Man, I hope they don't end New Fifty Two. That'll be a real bummer for me. You know,
2: and but say whatever you want about New Fifty Two. There's a lot of thoughts uh, people have about it. But our sales are up across the board on every single DC book mm-hmm. since it happened. Yeah, by a considerable amount. And so to so, me,
0: it's is the writing on the wall. Is this does does DC because they have to? They feel that they feel that that bump absolutely. Yeah, right? yeah. So is is that is this another excuse to start a bunch of comics at number one and? you know kind of artificially reboot their readership and right. you know you can't I can't imagine I, I'll be really surprised if it happens if, if if they converge everything yeah it's called convergence
1: no not that they'll converge it's that they'll be rebooting major titles yeah I mean Batman's doing great we have a ton of new books coming out the series are just starting and they're selling yeah. really well yeah. yeah you're not gonna reboot Batgirl right now you just had the biggest Batgirl sure. sales you've had in and this is all speculation. Yeah, right. We have no idea
0: what they're going to do. Right? But, uh, it smacks of pie chart to me, and I yeah that that always gets my, my hackles up.
2: I, you know, and I wonder though because uh, at first glance that's what it is. But then the the hiatus from all other publications is is pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty. Nice. That's that's wild to me. It yeah. sucks. I'm not going to get yeah. Gotham
1: Academy for two months. Yeah, huge bummer.
2: Yeah,
1: increase. um I'm getting rattled. Don't get rattled. <laughs> All right. Well, thus ends another issue of Super Skull, the Vault of Midnight podcast. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter under at Vault of Midnight. You can send us questions for our Question of the Week segment at Super skull of Vault of Midnight.com. Super Skull can be heard on SoundCloud and iTunes every week on New Comic Day. Our theme song was created by the Atomic A Bomb. Our logo was designed by the image wizard Phil Wong. Super Skull is brought to you by The Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comics and stuff since 1996. This is Marcus Schwimmer. For Nick Wybar and Curtis Sullivan, wishing you good reading. Until next week.